This is the Bible Line, a live radio call-in program with Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. And for the next hour, he's available to answer your questions, providing biblical insight and wisdom for everyday Christian living. Our phone lines are open, and if you have a question, you may call 525-1859 locally or outside the immediate area, call toll-free 877-924-7980. Now let's join Dr. Carl Brogy. Study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who is not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We welcome you this hour to the Bible line. So glad that you can join us. And so uh, we are here in this beautiful day in May to serve you. And if you are new, uh, what we do is for the next hour, we take people's questions. Maybe there is a passage of scripture that you've been studying, you've been challenged with, and you're not sure what it means or its uh, application or its interpretation. So if we can be of help, all you need to do is pick up the phone and call. Sometimes people are struggling with marital issues or uh, church ministry challenges that they're facing. And again, if we can be of help, pick up the phone, 843-525-1859, or you can text us here directly into the studio. And that uh, text address is TBL, stands for the Bible line, TBL at net. actually email Uh, But either way, uh, we're happy to take your questions. You can go on the air live. You can simply dictate your question. We're happy to receive it in whatever form you send it. All right. Very good, Pastor. We've got a number of questions that have come in. And the first is from Terry in Beaufort. He writes, my wife and I are Christians, and we have a piece of property we're selling. An offer has been made by what we've come to find out is a lesbian couple. Should we proceed with the sale? Well, um, I wouldn't let that stop me, uh, you know, and there actually are discrimination laws in reference to the sale of property, uh, and this is uh, included in it, whether it's a racial issue or a sexual orientation issue. So, look, um, we, we live in a day, sadly, where there's um, all kinds of issues. Let, let, let me just give you another example. Um, someone recently whom I counseled with, and I said, hey, you know, I knew this guy's parents. And my wife said, well, let me just see if he's on Facebook. And he was on Facebook. And, uh, you know, I was, I'm attempting to share the gospel with him. He's not a Christian. And he's living with this woman, and uh, he's not married to her, and it's a sad situation. And they just bought a house together. So let's just say the, the, the picture was a little different. Someone came to you, and they wanted to buy a house, and uh, they want to buy it jointly, and they're not even married. You know, what, what do you do under that kind of situation or scenario? How do you respond to it? And what are you going to say or do or think? And so this is, uh, this is a something that happens all the time. And it's very sad. Now, if it's in your control where you're not dealing, say, with a real estate agent, uh, you can just say, no, you know, I, I've decided not to sell the property. And you don't have to sell it. Of course, if you uh, continue this sale, then they'll come after you for discrimination. So you can't control everything. The things that you can control, you should. (coughs) Excuse me. The laws that you are able to follow in good conscience, you should. Obviously, it's sad to us 
when we uh, have to encounter issues. I would rather take the property off. Let's just create another scenario. Suppose you owned a business and Planned Parenthood wants to come and they'd like to buy your property and want to give you your asking price and everything else. Would I sell to them? No. Uh, for the sake of um, not being arrested for discrimination or other things, I would just forego the sale of the property. I would just stop it. That's what I would do. I would just stop it, and I wouldn't even uh, attempt to, to sell it. I would rather take the financial loss than sell it to someone that's going to kill babies, and I'd rather take the financial loss Maybe you need the money right now than to sell it to a lesbian couple. That's just me. That's what I would do. But you see, if you've presented it out there in the public to, you know, a real estate agent or the type, then you, you've taken it out of your control. And so uh, if you uh, say, well, look, we don't want to sell it to the lesbian couple, the guy says, well, you have no choice. So you do have a choice. You can unlist it and say, well, we've decided then not to sell the property. So you got to be very careful. Wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove. Yeah, you don't want your piece of property to be used to promote sin if you can help it. Again, it's almost impossible to prevent it 100% of the times. It's just like with money. You know, Jesus describes money as unrighteous mammon because most of it is dirty at some point. You know, you go and spend your money and that guy takes the money that... You spend at his place of employment, and he goes out and gets drunk on it. And so it's it's impossible to separate everything. But what you can do and what's in your control, that's what you ought to do. That would be my counsel to you. It's a, it's a difficult question, but it's one that we're facing more and more in the day that we live in. 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, we've got a live caller standing by. Thanks for holding. Good morning. You're on the Bible line. Well, good morning, Paul Brogan and Rick Porchner. My question is in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, does that refer to the Christians abiding in Christ or, or Christians who are believing presently every day in Christ? It, it's a good question. And so the Scripture would make a distinction between positional truth and uh, experiential truth. And so this is speaking of our position in Christ. And he, he does this throughout Romans. In fact, if you just look back a page in your Bible or so, in Romans 5, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there he's speaking about a new position that we have because we've been declared righteous, justified, saved, you could say, by faith, because salvation is not earned, it's not merited, it is gifted, uh, righteousness is credited to your account when you receive Jesus as Lord. We have peace with God. Now, it's possible to have peace with God uh, in contrast to those whom verse 10 of this chapter describe as enemies of God. Uh, we're no longer enemies because we've been reconciled to God through the death of his son. Uh, we were enemies, Paul says, but now we're friends in Romans 5 and verse 10. So it's possible to have peace with God, but not experientially to know the peace of God. And so like in Philippians, there he deals with the peace of God. Let the peace of God reign or rule, garrison your heart. Same is true here in Romans 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's speaking of a new position that we have, that when God looks at us, 
We're not viewed as under his wrath. We're not viewed as condemned people, but we uh, have no condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus. So it's speaking of our position. We're in Christ. And really the simplest definition of a Christian in the New Testament is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh, In the same chapter, Paul will go on to say, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you have been imputed, you have been credited with Christ's righteousness. If you're outside of Christ, you're still in your own fallen righteousness. And so by nature, according to Ephesians 2, 3, you're still a child of wrath. Uh, But this is speaking of the person who's in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. What does that mean? It means that when God looks at you, his anger has been propitiated. The doctrine of propitiation is an important New Testament doctrine. And it's the simple truth that God's not angry at us anymore. Uh, We don't use the word propitiation too often in the English language, but it was certainly a well-worn-out word in the first century. People were always trying to propitiate, to appease, to satisfy the anger of the various gods that they worshipped. And so if a tornado came through their town, they reasoned the god of tornadoes is angry with us. He needs to be propitiated. And so they had all these false gods that they served, and they were always trying to propitiate these gods by the things that they did. And of course, New Testament propitiation is based on what Christ did. God appeased his own anger by sending Christ. God gave of himself in Christ to save us really from himself uh, because his justice demands that we be punished. His grace and mercy dealt with that problem in Christ. So there's no condemnation, no longer guilty. We're viewed as saints in the New Testament. Sainthood isn't based on your experience. It's based on your position. Now, it is true that it's based on your experience, say, in Roman Catholicism. But in biblical theology, every believer is called a saint, the newest Christian, the oldest Christian, the most mature Christian, the most babyfied Christian, the most consistent Christian, the most inconsistent Christian. In fact, when Paul writes to what we would consider one of the weakest churches in all the New Testament that was laden with problems and division and even sin that invited God's discipline. He opens that epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified, set apart in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. They were called saints. Even some of these Christians who lived immorally at times, even some of these Christians who abused the Lord's table and even got drunk at it, they're still saints by calling because sainthood is not based on performance. It's based on position. Whether you're condemned or not condemned, whether you're an enemy of God or a friend of God, whether you're viewed as a goat or one of his sheep, whether you're one of his saints or one of his ain'ts, it all depends on whether or not you are in Christ. And so if someone's listening to me today, remember you're either in Christ or outside of Christ. And what you do with Christ will determine your identification with him. If you receive him as Lord, he will put you into the body of Christ. You'll be viewed through the righteousness of Christ, and there will never, ever, ever be any condemnation to your account. 
Good question. Let's go to the next. 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, and we have an email from Warren. He says, Mark 4.12 is interesting, as is Mark 6.9. Is that the way people, uh, or does God direct this like Pharaoh? Even though it seems to say his disciples could understand, they didn't even appear to be able, so they got special help. Did Jesus tell them to take a staff or to leave it behind? Well, there's two questions here that you are unfolding here for us. Uh, The first from Mark chapter 4 and verse 12, uh, it says this, uh, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return to me and be forgiven. And so uh, it's an interesting quotation from uh, the prophet Isaiah. It's reiterated in some form in Jeremiah and Ezekiel as well. But this is a quotation that you'll find in a number of places in the New Testament, and it's what we would call judicial blindness. When God judges a person because of their lack of response to truth that he has given them. And so um, Jesus would admonish people to make a decision because they didn't have forever to make a decision. For instance, the same quotation from the same section of Scripture is found in John's Gospel where Jesus admonishes these people who were ignoring him and trying to uh, come to false conclusions about him because they didn't really want to be accountable to him. And so he exhorts them for a little while longer, the light is among you, walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so yet so many signs, they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah again says, and then here in verse 20 of uh, John chapter 12, the same quotation we just read in Mark, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their hearts, so that they may not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. And again, the same section of Scripture from the prophet Isaiah. So again, it's what we call judicial blindness. When God gives light, he calls people to respond to that light. And light responded to brings more light, but light suppressed brings darkness. Paul uh, elucidates this principle in Romans 1, where he speaks of the raw pagan Gentile, the idol worshiper, And he says, professing to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image and they worshiped and served the uh, creation rather than the creator who's blessed forever. And so he describes this downward progression when a person or a group of people or a nation uh, ignores the revelation that God has given us. And Romans 1 really is being lived out in the United States of America where because we refuse to acknowledge God as God, as the creator of the universe, men were given over into darkness. And so we saw the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s. 
But did men repent? No, they wanted more. So God gave them over to homosexuality. And so our nation for the last 20 years has been going deeper and deeper and deeper into the homosexual lifestyle. There was a time when it was against the law in all 50 states. Why? Because those people were just ignorant fundamentalists who, you know, believed the Bible too much. No, they they took God at his word and they uh, recognized even if they were not Christians, that it was against natural law for a man to lie with a man, for a woman to lie with a woman, that it's a perversion. And of course, uh, we're seeing these perversions hailed and enacted. And there was supposed to be a meeting tonight in Columbia uh, that was going to basically approve um, a new ordinance that would prevent Christian counselors and by application, pastors, because we do counseling all the time, so that if someone came into your office under the age of 18, suppose a 16-year-old boy came into your office, he says, I think maybe I'm a girl. I think maybe I need to become a girl. And you say, no, 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 no. God created you male or he created you female. There's no such thing as transgenderism. God doesn't want you to change your gender. You can't. And you begin to counsel him biblically and the deception that he's been under. Well, if that had passed in Columbia, that pastor, that counselor would be arrested. That's what the new ordinance was going to say in Columbia. And they put teeth in it. They said the police will come and arrest you. And of course, uh, hundreds of people at Community Bible Church uh, wrote and emailed and uh, called each councilman as did, I'm sure, other Christians in the state. But we got right on it, and uh, they have tabled it. So it was supposed to have its second reading tonight and be voted on, but they've tabled it. So that's good news. But these are the kinds of things we're coming down the pike with. And so God gave them over to homosexuality, and then God gives them over the third stage, and we're beginning to live this out to a reprobate mind, an upside-down mind. Woe to you who call evil good and good evil, Isaiah will say. What are you who calls a boy a girl, a girl a boy? Um, who call light darkness and darkness light? Who call truth error and error truth? That's where we are at. And so the Biden administration said last week that sexual gender is no longer determined by biology. That's wickedness. That's, that's an upside down kind of way of thinking for the president and the vice president of the United States to come out and to laud this official position that they are sanctioning as an administration. This is a wicked administration. This is Ahab and Jezebel are running the country. And so, but this is what happens. And so God gives such a people over to darkness. And that's why Jesus is exhorting them. Look, while the light is among you, respond. So it's not like God takes pleasure in blinding someone's eyes and hardening someone's heart as uh, John 12 and Mark 4 indicate. Uh, No, this is a result of a person's own will. They say no to God for so long, God eventually says no to them, and he judicially judges them. And by the way, the greatest expression of this that will ever happen in all of human history is still in front of us. It's happening today when people reject the work of the Spirit of God who is trying to woo them into the kingdom But there's coming a time when there will be a man on the earth. He's known as the Antichrist. And he will have a one world 
government and he'll have ultimately a one world religion in the middle of the tribulation period he will invite people to exclusively worship him initially in the first half there will be a multiplicity of religions that are all hailed and esteemed as equal but then in the middle of the tribulation period that will all change and god will send upon them a deluding influence now the second half of your question concerns the staff should we take a staff or not and it's basically two passages one from mark chapter 6 in you're referencing here verses 8 and 9 let me just read it starting um in uh verse uh 7 and he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits and he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff no bread no bag no money in their belt but to wear sandals and he added do not put on two tunics he said to them wherever you and wherever you enter a house stay there until you leave town any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there shake the dust off your soles of your feet as a testimony against them and so when you read the account though in Matthew he says don't take a staff and when you look very carefully at the original language Matthew's use of don't take a staff it's a particular Greek word don't get or acquire a staff uh, if you have one set of sandals don't get or acquire a second set of sandals one is enough whereas the word that Mark uses it's of broader meaning uh, and he seems to convey the idea that Jesus wanted the disciples to take what they already had so if they already had a staff they could take it you didn't have to go out and get a second one why because he's going to provide for them he's going to take care of their needs as they went from town to town in place to place anyway two excellent questions there's no contradictions in the Bible there's always an explanation uh, for each and every text let's go to the next question eight four three five two five one eight five nine if you have a question on today's Bible line we've got a live caller standing by thanks for holding good morning you're on the Bible line hi Good morning, uh, Carl Brogy. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks um, for calling. I have a question. I have a question. I was I bought I was uh, told this about this book called The Pre-Tribulation Rapture that I had purchased from Alan Beechick. Um I was wondering if that's um, what, did you ever hear about that book before? Well, I do believe that the Scripture teaches the pre-tribulational rapture. Every Christian, you know, sometimes people will say, "Well, do you believe in the rapture?" and and if you say yes, they think you're like weird or whatever. Um, let me just say every Christian believes in the rapture. The question is, does it happen before the tribulation? Does it happen after the tribulation? Uh, does it happen in the middle of the tribulation? Is everyone raptured? Is a small small group of people raptured? Who Who's in view? So the word rapture actually comes from a Latin translation of the the Bible in first Thessalonians four, he says, we shall all be caught up And the word caught up is in Latin, a rapto. And so we get our word rapture. And so, um, there are many books, Alan Beechick's included that affirms that the rapture will take place before the seven year reign of terror. And I believe that that's actually the only logical conclusion that someone can come to when they study the scripture carefully uh, for the simple reason that one Jesus has promised that he's not destined the church for wrath but for obtaining salvation 
It's called the blessed hope. And it is a blessed hope that the return of Jesus is imminent. Now, there are Christians who think that we will go through the tribulation. They don't believe in the imminent return of Christ. They're not looking for Jesus. They're looking for Antichrist because Antichrist has to come before the second coming. But no one and nothing has to happen for the church to be caught up. It could happen at any moment. In fact, as we see prophecy in our day being fulfilled for the second coming, we know that the rapture that takes place seven plus years before the second coming, and I say plus years because after the church is raptured, there's a period of time, could be weeks, days, possibly even months, but it appears from what we find in Scripture, it's a very short period of time. Um, but after the church is raptured, there will be a short period of time where then the Antichrist will come and will make a peace treaty with Israel. And that peace treaty, according to Daniel chapter 9, is what gets the clock ticking for the seven-year uh tribulation period that begins to start. So God hasn't destined the church for wrath. It's called the blessed hope. But as we see prophecy in our day being fulfilled for the second coming, because God does say, for instance, that Israel will be back in the land at the end of time in the latter days, not the last days, but the latter days. And the latter days is the time reference that refers to that time frame just before Jesus comes back. You know, there was a study Bible that came out in 1909 by a man by the name of C.I. Schofield. I'm not the biggest fan of uh, everything Schofield said, but he said a lot of true and accurate things. And of course, he created a study Bible, a Bible that had some notes to it that was very helpful for, you know, especially the new reader of Scripture, because he would, you know, make comments on maybe the historical uh, references that are being unfolded and why they are significant or a cultural expression that you are reading about in Scripture and why that is important to understanding the meaning and then the application of the passage. And so this was a huge help to people because there really wasn't a study Bible quite like that before. And he, uh, he wrote in 1909 that Israel would be back in the land and that they would be attacked by Russia. Now, that was kind of um, backwards thinking in his day because Israel had not been a nation basically since 70 A.D., and then the few Jews that were left in the land were driven out by Hadrian about 136 A.D. in that final war. And so they had been scattered, as Jesus had predicted, to the four corners of the earth. And Russia, well, that was uh, pre-communist 1909. They were considered, quote-unquote, a Christian nation. Not in the truest sense. It was the Orthodox Church, though there were certainly believers within the Orthodox Church. But they had become, by that time, mainly like Roman Catholics, teaching a works righteousness. But there were evangelicals within, uh, within the country, largely Baptists at the time. Uh, but still, they were viewed as a Christian nation, much like we would have called 30 years ago the United States, quote-unquote, a Christian nation, not any longer. With that said, you know, Dr. Schofield, how is it possible for this Christian nation, Russia, to attack a country that doesn't even exist and hasn't existed since 70 A.D.? And his response was, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is it will happen because the Scripture records it. And he was laughed at and mocked at. Uh, 
but he and many other preachers who for nearly 100 years had recaptured uh, the need to teach the church eschatology, and that's something that's virtually missing out of 90% of the pulpits in America today. They don't preach about the return of Christ, yet that should be a central uh, topic that is to be taught because a third of the scripture is prophetic uh, in nature, and you can't ignore these prophecies that relate to the return of his son. But we are seeing in our day what God had written. And so Russia hates Israel. There's a reason they're in Syria, and they are supplying the Syrians with all kinds of weaponry because we know that they will be the nation, as Ezekiel prophesies, that will come from the north and attack uh, Israel along with Iran, along with Turkey, uh, along with uh, Sudan. These nations are actually named in Scripture as attacking Israel. It's never happened. It's going to happen. Um, Israel's back in the land, and the moral climate that God says will typify the second coming, which takes place after the rapture, it's in, we're, we're living it. We're seeing it. I mean, look at this new administration and the things that they are uh, putting on the American culture by executive order. Uh, These are the things that tell us that the rapture of the church is all that much closer. But it's really impossible to believe in a post-tribulational rapture and to take God's word at face value. Let me give you one example. Uh, The scripture teaches that at the second coming, when we come back, so the next event is the rapture, we'll be caught up. We'll be translated. We'll receive resurrection bodies, some off the earth, some out of the grave as Christ brings their spirit back from heaven and reconnects it to the body wherever it is, buried, annihilated, cremated. He'll connect the two. We'll go to heaven. The judgment of the just will happen, the Bema seat, and then we'll come back with Christ to rule and reign with him. And at the second coming, he'll come to the earth. His feet will literally plant themselves on the Mount of Olives. The mountain will split in two. A river will flow from the Temple Mount uh, to, on one side, the Mediterranean Sea, to the other side, to the to the Dead Sea. In fact, the water that comes is living water, and the water that goes into the Dead Sea, in which absolutely nothing lives. Men are going to fish in it, and they're going to dry their nets alongside of it. Those are literal prophecies that have never happened, but are going to happen when Jesus comes back. Um, people who survive the tribulation will enter into that seven-year period in their natural bodies. Uh, They will be able to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They'll live a thousand years unless they come under the direct judgment of Messiah. And so Isaiah can say, if a man only lives to be a hundred, he's considered cursed. And so the ages will be long and protracted, much like before the great flood. And then at the end of the thousand years, Satan, who has been bound for all thousand years, will be loosed. And when he's loose, he's going to tempt the nations. Who is he going to tempt? The children of tribulation saints. Now, think about this for a moment. If the rapture is post-tribulational and we go up at the end of the tribulation only to make a U-turn to come back, Then we come back in resurrection bodies. In a resurrection body, you don't marry. You're like the angels. You don't become angels. That's a verse often misquoted by people. He's an angel now, and they take that verse out of context. No, we become like angels in that we neither marry nor are given in marriage. And so we don't have children. 
So it's only if there's a pre-tribulational rapture in tribulational saints who are able to enter into the millennial reign of Christ in their natural bodies that there'll be even the possibility for a rebellion at the end of the thousand years. So some people not wanting to get that complicated or to think, they just throw away the whole tribulation period. They say it's all history. It's already happened. Uh, They take uh, the preterist view of Revelation, praetor meaning past, that all of Revelation with the exception of the second coming is history. That was Calvin's position. The next event is the second coming. We all go to heaven and that's it. Well, again, you have to throw away hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that deal with a future kingdom where Messiah will literally rule and reign on the earth. So when you read about the kingdom of God in Scripture, there's different usages of the term. Sometimes it's just of God's sovereign rule that he's in charge, that he's overseeing the events of our day, that nothing is taking him by surprise, that he is ruling and reigning over the whole universe, and he is. Then there's a spiritual aspect of the kingdom where, you know, the kingdom of God is in you. Uh, You must be born again to enter this kingdom, Uh, And it's a spiritual kingdom. And so Jesus can say to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And he's speaking of the spiritual aspect that you become a member of the moment you receive Jesus as Lord. And then there's the literal actual kingdom where Messiah rules on the earth. And this is where Israel comes in. And so God used Israel to bring about the first coming. He'll use Israel to pull off the second coming. And the fact that they are together in the land protected by him. This war that is going on right now probably be a short skirmish, be over in a month or two. We're still planning to go to Israel in September, God willing. We're obviously not going to go if, you know, it's dangerous. Neither would I go. Neither would the travel agency let us go. Neither would the state of Israel let us come if there was any danger. Uh, So, um, but with that said, they're being attacked in in non-provoked way. People don't really know what's going on in Israel, but basically you've got the West Bank, which is west of the Jordan River, and they have the Palestinian organization, traditionally called the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization. They have their own president, so to speak. They want to form their own country, and they want East Jerusalem as their capital. And then there's this portion of land Uh, on the western shore of the Mediterranean. It's called the Gaza Strip. You don't ever go there. I've been there. Uh, I was blessed to go there, uh, not with a group of people that I took, but went down, stood outside the wall, and went to the adjacent town that has had some bombs recently. It's so close, it's hard for the Iron Dome to catch those, like, we're talking about 300 yards outside of the border wall there in the Gaza Strip. Um, but they have their own, quote-unquote, president. They want their own nation, and they're trying to provoke uh, the Palestinians in the West Bank to join them to go against Israel. In their platform, in their constitution, the Gaza Strip, they said Israel does not deserve to exist, and they want to drive them into the sea. And this particular skirmish is over some housing that went back to Israel uh, pre-1948 before they were a state. And some of the Arabs literally stole the property of these Jewish families. And now they want to um, build, you know, on those properties. And the Israeli government says, no, the Supreme Court said, no, that's against the law. This was property that was owned, it was deeded. 
and you've stolen it, you can't build on it. And they say it's their right to. Well, it's the same thing that happened in Nazi Germany. It's the same thing that happened under, you know, communist Russia. When communist Russia finally fell, a lot of Christians said, we want our churches back. You turned them into museums. And they gave them their churches back. When the Germans stole the property of the Jews, they had to make reparations and say, no, your property is is yours or, or we're going to have to pay you for it. Um, and that's the situation that has provoked this most current conflict. They have stolen Jewish property. And the Jews have said, no, you can't steal this and you can't build on it. And so they're sending all these missiles, you know, from the Gaza Strip, over 3,000 in the last week or so. And fortunately, the Iron Dome has, you know, removed 99% of them. Very few ever make it over. And so this is a conflict that we're living under, but... Uh, there will be conflicts like this until Jesus comes and there'll be a brief time of unheard of peace when the Jews are back in the land, which they are when the Antichrist comes and he'll sign a covenant and he'll offer a fake peace, but it will be short lived. 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, we just had a person call in and dictate their question. They say they've heard of a movement today who say that Jesus is not the real name of God, but that he is called Emmanuel. Has Pastor Brogy heard of this? Yeah, things like this come up from time to time. This uh, title, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, L, you hear the Hebrew word for God, and so Beth El the house of God, and so El is one of the Hebrew names for God in Scripture. Emmanuel is the Hebrew word that means God with us or God among us. And so the prophet Isaiah predicted that a baby would be born by a virgin conception and the baby's name would be called Emmanuel. Uh, When you put it in Greek, Um, it reads a little bit different, but it's the same word coming from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so very often at Christmas time, we'll read the Christmas story and God will, uh, you know, quote this text from Isaiah where it says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. I'm reading Matthew 123 and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel. So in Greek, from the Septuagint, it's I-M-M-A-N-U-E-L, when you transliterate it. When you take it from the Hebrew, it's E-M-M-A-N-U-L. And again, it's a, a title which Matthew reminds us, translated means God with us. So there are many titles for the Messiah. It's kind of like the word Satan. Satan technically is not the devil's name. That's his, one of his titles. But a title can substitute for a name. And so uh, his name, Satanus, means adversary. And so Satan is our adversary. And there's like 30 different titles slash names, whatever you want to call them, uh, for the devil. And there's a number of titles, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, and so on and so forth, the Word of God, Uh, that are used to describe the Lord Jesus. Most of us call him by his Greek name, Jesus, in Hebrew would be Yeshua. Um, And that's fine. You know, either is acceptable. 
but that's the name that the New Testament uh, basically gives us to refer to the Lord Jesus, and it's the word Jesus. So here's a general principle. If it's new, it's not true. If it's new, it's not true. So if someone comes up with something that no one else has seen in a few thousand years, oh, you know, really his name is Emmanuel. No, that's one of his titles. Why, why don't you use one of the other titles? We could go to a dozen different titles. We used to have a hymn in church where it it unfolded all these different titles of, of Jesus. What, what makes that one unique where we have the Emmanuel movement, we need to call him Emmanuel. It's not unique. And so the name, so to speak, that he was given, how do I know? Because God says it to Mary and he says it to Joseph separately of each other that you shall call his name Yeshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. And so that was the name that God designated that Jesus was going to be called. And so when Paul opens his letter to Philippians, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of who? of Messiah Jesus, Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, not Christ, not Messiah Emmanuel, but Christ Jesus. And because he was willing to uh, empty himself and take on the form of a bondservant, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of cross for point, point to the point of death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name the name which is above every name. Let me say that again. The name which is above every name. So this is the name that God said to Joseph, that God said to Mary, that Jesus identified himself with, that the disciples called him, that's repeatedly used in the New Testament. The name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, not Emmanuel, the name of Jesus, Emmanuel is a title. So usually when you get someone coming up with some weird, quirky doctrine, there's all other kinds of weird, quirky teachings that go with it. And so I guarantee there's probably all other kinds of, uh, maybe even heresy. Uh, There's this, again, this is not the first time it's happened, so I'm not sure which Emmanuel group that you're referring to. But I can tell you right off, they're, they're, they're way off, and they're not even close to the truth, and I'd run far away from them. 843-525-1859. If you have a question on today's Bible line, if you'd like to listen to this Bible line again or previous uh, Bible lines, you can always visit our uh, website, wagp.net, and click on the uh, Bible Line Archives button there. I noticed, too, that sometimes you feature like a question that was asked on the Bible Line. Is that on Instagram, or that's, where do you do that? That's on uh, Facebook and on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, so how can people follow us on Instagram? So, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they just go to um, Instagram or Facebook, and it's uh, CBC Buford uh, is the, uh, the handle or whatever they call it, and uh, it's usually posted there by mid-afternoon of the day that we do a, a broadcast. So Rick usually takes at least one question and posts it there. And, and those are great little things you can send to people and lost friends and Christians who are searching. And uh, it can be very, very helpful. But if you submit a question, and you can do so at searchthescriptures.org, and there's a drop-down menu, ask Dr. Brogy a question. A lot of questions come in from different parts of the country and even sometimes foreign countries. Um when your question is finally answered, you're emailed to say, hey, your question was answered today on the Bible line. And then you can click on the link and 
you can see the various questions. You don't have to listen to the whole Bible line. You can just kind of scale through the, um, the day and listen to the answer for your question. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, I made a mistake. It's uh, actually you go to Facebook and you search for CBCBFT. We didn't want to oh, make people write out CBCBFT. Right? I got you. All right, very good. Uh, Kathy from Savannah writes, I'm an older woman in my mid-60s. Doesn't sound older to me, <laughs> but anyway, she Well, technically, feels... <laughs> that is the definition of an older woman. Is it? Yeah, biblically. Paul, Paul uses the number 60, so you're actually an old man. Oh, great. But let's keep going. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I am well, too. So. She says, uh, I'm an older woman in my mid-60s who feels secure in the knowledge that I belong to Christ, and I truly know I am saved. However, I find myself struggling with my inability to be patient with the outside world. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a recluse or anything. I have friends and family, and I'm generally a very happy person. I suppose I feel that I should feel more natural love for my fellow human beings, but it's very difficult for me. I feel anger at what the world is becoming, and I suppose I let that anger encroach on my thoughts when I am out and about or when I watch the news and so on. I see people having children and expecting the government to pay for their care. I see people who expect special treatment for whatever reason that they can dream up and others who just act like they are the only people who matter in the world. I know that God loves me, but I want to please him. And I wonder how much love I am expected to come up with for this crazy, crazy world. I'm afraid I sound petty, but this is really bothering me. Well, it's a good question and I'm glad you asked it today. And again, Uh, This is one of the needs, um, one of the reasons why we need to be teaching Bible prophecy in our day. And again, you know, approximately 29 to 31 percent of the scripture, depending on whose numbers you read and whether you count a verse twice because it's found in two different places. But basically, a third of the scripture is prophetic in nature. And so, you know, you ask people, when was the last time you heard a sermon on the return of Christ or in Bible prophecy? And I get people who tell me, never, never. When people started coming to Community Bible Church, and of course I taught the book of Revelation verse by verse by verse, and if that's of interest to some listener, go to searchthescriptures.org and just click on Revelation, and there's 70 plus hours of teaching verse by verse by verse in the whole book. But look, whenever I am teaching the scripture, we're in James right now, but before we're done with James, he's going to address the second coming of Christ. So it's impossible for a pastor to preach expositionally verse by verse through a book of the Bible and not have to encounter the return of Christ. And so this is important because the return of Christ gives us perspective in terms of what our attitude should be and how we are to engage the unbelieving world around us. Jesus, for instance, in the Olivet Discourse, when he's describing the signs for his second coming, there are no signs for the rapture. That's imminent, but there are signs for the second coming. But still, it's a good reminder for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom in various places. And of course, he says, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. So these things must take place. They're going to happen. You cannot undo them. You know, there is a form of theology called dominion theology, which somehow thinks you can just speak against these things and they're going to dissolve by the authority of Christ's name. 
No, it's under the authority of the name of Christ that these things are going to happen. These things will take place. And so you are not to be frightened. You know, the fact, though, that it bothers you is not necessarily something bad. That's just an indicator that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Hey, listen, if righteous Lot could be tormented in his soul by these very things, which the Bible teaches us in the New Testament, righteous in the sense that he was declared righteous, he was a true believer, you will meet Lot anyway in heaven. He had a lot of issues, but you'll meet him in heaven, and so he's called righteous Lot, and he was tormented in his soul by what he saw around him. He should have, you know, fled that place much earlier and not have raised his family there because sadly, while God got Lot out of Sodom, he couldn't get Sodom out of his daughters and his family. And when the day came and God in his mercy gave warning, his sons-in-laws thought that he was joking with them. That's the kind of spiritual authority he had. So, yeah, there is a certain consternation, a grieving of the soul that we feel, especially as sin seems to be growing. And again, this is what Scripture says will happen, that lawlessness will increase at the end of time and that men's hearts will grow cold. But you also need to step back and say, there go I, but by the grace of God. It is only by God's grace that I'm not a part of this lawlessness. And it's only by God's grace that I'm not heralding homosexuality and transgenderism. Why are people in the heterosexual community saying that these are good things and these are protective rights that we should have established across the United States of America? Now, just not across America, but across the world. This is happening all across Western Europe. Yesterday, there was a case in Australia over the same issue of transgenderism and the freedom of pastors to speak out against this and other perverted behavior like homosexuality. And a pastor was arrested This is happening across the world. So this is not like unique to the United States of America. This is happening globally. Uh, And it's very, very sad. It's very pathetic. But it's going to happen. So we don't need to be afraid of it. But we need to recognize we would be a part of it. And so the heterosexual community is behind it. Why? Because they're immoral. When you are participating in darkness, then you will give approval to other sides of darkness, a man goes out and gets drunk and feels kind of bad about it. He goes out and gets drunk a second time. He feels bad, but not, maybe not as bad as the next time. After a while, he keeps going out and keeps getting drunk. And before long, he's inviting you to get drunk with him. And that's really basically where we are in our culture. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved, or you could translate it reprobate, or you could render it an upside-down mind. In other words, it's kind of a reverse way of thinking. You call good evil, you call evil good. And this is what we are seeing happening. This is God judging America today. This whole section is speaking about the wrath of God that is revealed. There's different expressions of God's wrath. There's a cataclysmic wrath like you'd see in the Great Flood, like you saw in Sodom and Gomorrah, that sends a message about maybe how God feels about a particular lifestyle or 
or outlook on life. There's tribulational wrath that is still in front of us. There's eternal wrath. But then there's current day wrath, the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And that's what we're seeing happening in our day, where God gives people over to sensuality, homosexuality, to a depraved mind. And then he goes on to say, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. I mean, this is like the culture more and more. You know, the murder rate is like growing exponentially here in the United States. And we have people who think we should defund the police. We have people who think that we shouldn't have borders. You know, we saw the uh, Unholy Four come out yesterday with their saying that to, um, you know, to remove terrorists who have come over the border illegally is, to, is a racist move. You know, they keep changing their position all the time. Well, people come over the borders as long as they're not terrorists. If they're terrorists, they should be exported. And, and now they're saying that, you know, that that would be racism. Look, no borders, you have no country. God created the borders, Acts 17 teaches. And yet this is the way people are thinking. They're slanderers. <clears throat> they're haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. They're disobedient to their parents. They're without understanding. They're untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Who wants to live in a culture like this? This is the culture of the last days. And here's the point. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. So at first they felt bad about getting drunk. At first they felt bad about being immoral. Well, they do it enough, and after a while, they're promoting it. They become evangelists for sin. They want to promote abortion. They want to promote homosexuality. They want to promote transgenderism. They want to promote fornication. They want to teach little children in middle school how to use prophylactics, and on 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 it goes. They not only do the same, they give hearty approval to those who do it. How could the Columbia City Council want to pass an ordinance that would make it against the law for a Christian counselor or for a pastor to speak basic Bible truth because they want to give hearty approval to that which is evil? That's our day. It's going to come. It's here. Don't be frightened, but be compassionate towards these who don't need Christ because some will be rescued. We're out of time. Thanks for being with us today on The Bible Line. Have a great day as you walk with Christ. 